morning, and uh, before I get underway, last night I had a great privilege. Uh, I was able to go over to the Karen's house. They invited me over because their son, Aiden, uh, this morning or this afternoon sometime, I think it is, is off to the United States Marine Corps for boot camp. And uh, no, that's cool. Yeah, definitely clap for that. Very cool, and so I was very humbled by the privilege of being able to come over and just kind of pray over him and that kind of thing. But I want to encourage all of you to do the same. Uh, hopefully here in a few weeks we'll get that kind of iconic bulldog picture of him at boot camp, you know, looking tough like a Marine. And we'll put it up on the screen so you can know by face who this is that you're praying for, but really be praying for him. It was awesome. There was some really just great godly men that was just speaking into his life, his father Michael as well, and I was just really just touched by being a part of it. So I wanted to encourage all of you to be praying for him as well, because it's a big step, you know, it's not just going into the Marines, but it's really like you're going from being a kid to adult life now, and there's no turning back, and uh, yet he's just a fine, great young man, and God has just done a lot of great stuff in his life, so very excited about that, so please keep Aiden Karens in your prayers, and that would be fantastic. All right, beyond that, though, today we are in this whole, the 5th of July, kind of you voted on, the topics we're going to deal with, and today, 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 oh, you wanted to talk about dealing with doubt. Out. My jam, man. Right? Anybody that knows me knows that I have an intimate relationship with this topic, right? When you read the book of Isaiah, it talks about the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And I'm like, well, I'm the man of sorrows acquainted with doubts, you know? Like, I've just been always very open and transparent about that. And it's not that I want to. It's not like I strive to have that in my wheelhouse of life. I think part of it is just very openly. Um, I'm, I'm a little on the spectrum, uh, I have uh, kind of some struggles sometimes with being a little OCD. Ask my wife and kids. It's hilarious. And in that space, I'm that guy that's like, you know, the dude in the basement with the red string that's trying to figure out all the stuff, and it's going all over the pictures, and I know there's a story in here somewhere, and, and I kind of struggle in that area. And so when I go through faith, there's these moments where I can't get the pieces to fit, and so I have these battles. And so when I come to you today with the stuff that we're talking about, I don't come as like, hey, I don't have this problem, but here's some principles for you. No, I come as a practitioner of using these principles to help navigate those seasons or times where I have some level of doubt. And so it's kind of like, hey, I didn't just like the product, I bought the company, you know? It's like, that's kind of the spirit behind this whole thing. That's my heart in this whole thing today. And so I hope it's an encouragement for you. Now, uh, in our notes, uh, in the app, there are a number of things today. It's going to feel like Mad Libs, all right? Like, if you're taking notes, you're going to be like, I'm just typing all the time. I hope that's helpful to you. And I hope that these are little nuggets and principles that you can then reincorporate at different seasons when you may have some level of struggling with any kind of variety of doubt, because we'll see that there's all sorts of varieties. It's not just one size fits all, and there's one kind of doubt for everybody. There's all kinds of spectrum on that. And so I hope to talk about that today. So with that said, again, you have an app, you have notes, you can follow along. But I want to go ahead and just open up with a word of prayer. I want to pray for my man, Aiden. And then also just pray for us uh, that God will use these things in our life so that we might grow more intimate with him and close to him and then be like him in the world around us. So go ahead and join me in prayer. Jesus, I first bring my man Aiden to you. I love Aiden. I love even just hearing his heart last night, his humility. Uh, and I pray that you will bless him. I pray that you will grow him. He was given some really great insights yesterday as far as decide the kind of man you want to be as you hit the ground. Right? And let that be the rallying cry for others who are looking for direction and Christ-likeness and guidance. And I pray that you would give them the fortitude and kind of the clairvoyance in the moment to be that very man. 
So I thank you for him, bless him, strengthen him. I know you're going to test him in this as far as bringing greater character to bear on his person and soul, and I pray that he receives that well. I also pray for all of us this morning. I know in this room there's me. Some people have no doubts. Faith is as solid as a rock. And I know others in this room who maybe have struggled for weeks, months, years, a lifetime with this particular area. And I pray that in all of that, you will fortify us. For those who never struggle with doubt, I pray that they have great compassion and patience for those who do. For those who struggle with doubt, I pray that they will have tools and encouragement to navigate those things. And in all of it, that we will be dependent on you. And so Jesus, we thank you and we need you. We love you and we praise you. In your perfect name, amen. So uh, as uh, a pastor, uh, I, I try to always stay in tune with kind of the spiritual religious climate of our culture because that's kind of my job in part, right? And if anything's become popular in recent years, it's just kind of the area of doubt overall. So uh, in, in kind of the last couple of years, there's been this big word, deconstruction, right? Where people are saying, I'm just kind of deconstructing my faith and seeing what comes out the other side. And, and that's a big thing. Or even the ex-evangelical movement where uh, we're seeing increasingly people just moving out of this evangelical sphere of the type of church like we are and many other types of churches. And so that's been going on. We've seen where millennials are getting older and they're having kids. And we thought once they got to that space, they would come back to the faith of their parents. But that's not necessarily happening. And then even in Gen Z, kind of the age bracket of my kids, um, we, we've seen a weird shift, which for the first time, females are more apt to not hold to religious ideas than even males in that strata. This is a first for many, many years as far as like the way this is all playing out. And then, of course, we've heard about the nuns, those who check none on the box of what's your religious affiliation. And so in that sense, we go, man, it feels like all the time there is this topic of kind of doubt and leaving the faith and all those kinds of things. And yet I would actually advocate that doubt is nothing new. It's really not. It's always been with us. And not just in the human race sense of it, but even when I read through the Bible, I see people who are battled with or battling through or falling into or struggling with the idea of doubt. Like the very first story of the Bible is Adam and Eve who have this moment of doubt and it wrecks everything. And then Abraham had doubt. Isaac had doubt, right? Moses he had all kinds of doubt. Matter of fact, his story ends because he has a moment of doubt and disobedience, and it changes the trajectory of where he's going to end in the story. David had doubt. Solomon. The minor prophets. Oh, man, those guys struggled sometimes. And then you get into the New Testament. The apostles struggled with it. Weirdly enough, even Jesus says this weird thing where he says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? It's almost like even though he's God and divine and knows everything, he kind of poses this question like he's even like, oh, what will I find? You know, it's like interesting. Paul had his moments, right? The apostles overall just kind of displayed those challenges. And the churches that the writers write to, they had their moments of that as well. And so I kind of look at that and go, if you battle with this subject, you're in good company. Because many people at different times have had this particular struggle. Now, as I said kind of at the beginning and in my prayer, um, I don't think we should look at doubt as being kind of binary, like black and white, on or off, plus or minus. I think it has a spectrum to it. And I've shared all of this before because this is something that's really dear to me, like I said. So again, I, I like to kind of return to certain principles because I think it's really important to understand kind of the narrative that we're dealing with. And so I want to be clear that for some people, when they talk about doubt, they're talking about a, a very kind of subtle and simple version of doubt. It's just kind of lately there, lightly there on occasion. It's not heavy. It's just little questions pop into play. 
Other people, on the other hand, are going to have some very staunch doubts where they really wrestle, they really battle. They're trying to put the pieces together in some way. See, I, I want to keep that in perspective because, again, you know, not all doubt is kind of created equal. There's going to be diversity and differences in this. Now, when we look at the New Testament, it actually uses this word in the Greek language. There's actually two kind of primary variations. There would be other kind of subtler ways of saying it, but the first is this idea of having a double standing, right? It's like imagine shifting your weight between your left and right foot. It's like, ah, I'm struggling with this idea, which is counter to this idea. That's kind of the nuance of that one. The other is this idea of thoroughly adding up where you're, you're taking all the pieces and you're trying to figure out the collective whole and you see this side and you see that side and you see that side and you're trying to weigh them all and then the more you're trying to weigh them out, you're talking with other people who are trying to weigh them out and pretty soon in the end, you're maybe more confused than resolved. That's another version of it. It's like today, you're gonna go out of here as a family and somebody is gonna be foolish enough in the car to say, where should we go have lunch? And one person's gonna say, stop, and the other's gonna say, pickle time, and the other's gonna say, the tavern, and the other's gonna say, I wanna go to the grill. And then pretty soon, you're all exhausted, or you're just going home and we're having sandwiches, right? Because too many ideas all in play. See, that, that could be a little bit of the challenge in this area, right? And even the Bible talks about this. Even it, it kind of speaks to the, the, the problem of it at times. Like in the book of Proverbs, it says, oh man, many counselors makes for great wisdom. And then you get to Solomon's other book, Ecclesiastes, and he's like, oh, with much learning, there's much grief. Right? That, those are both equally true in different ways and at different times. And so with this, doubt isn't always kind of cut and dry. Right? Sometimes it just has these nuances to it. In fact, I have found in the course of my travels, um, there are kind of, I don't know, different themes of doubt. So for some that I talk with, uh, they struggle with intellectual doubt, right? Where they simply just go, uh, I don't know if I can really hold to the inerrancy of the Bible. Or I struggle with the notion that there was naked people eating fruit with a talking snake and there was these things and now it's the sin of the human race. Like they struggle with those things. It's just intellectual for them. They're just like, I can't make the pieces fit together. And you've probably met some of those people. In fact, probably some of our most pr prominent atheists in the world. That would be kind of their space. But there's others, and I find often in the church, that have emotional doubts, right? And the emotional doubts is just like, I don't know if God is listening. I don't know if God cares. I don't sense him in my life. Like there's some people who go, I'm really struggling because I keep asking God, I want to sense your presence. I want to feel your power. I want to overcome in this thing. And I, I just feel like there's nothing there. Like that's what generates their doubt. Others may have some sense of spiritual doubt, right? And spiritual doubt can, can be that deeper thing at times where uh, you're just like, you know, where is God when I'm hurting, right? It, it, why, why isn't he showing up maybe in my pain? And so they wrestle. Another one that's probably not seen as much as doubt, but I think it is, is obedience doubt. Obedience doubt is where we know exactly what the Bible tells us to do, but we doubt that in doing that, it will be good for us. It's like, no, if I do that, if I love my enemy, my enemy's gonna take advantage of me, so I don't know if I can love my enemy. Right? Or if I do this thing, I might suffer financial loss. If I do this thing, I might take some hits at work. If I do this thing, I might be rejected in some way. And so kind of we just go, I know it says that, but I'm gonna, I doubt that God really blesses that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veer off and, and go a different path. There's also circumstantial doubt. I, I remember this one. I had a, a really sweet friend of mine uh, that I grew up with. 
all the way from kindergarten all the way through high school and she went really off the rails for a season and then she came back around and she was loving Jesus and she got her life together and this was just before we graduated from high school and I say this with tragedy some man found her and kidnapped her and assaulted her and beat her to death and buried her in a shallow grave like a mile from her parents house and for years, her Christian parents scoured the country trying to find their daughter. They thought maybe she ran away or whatever else. And then they finally caught this guy years later. He had killed a number of women in different states. And he confessed to the murder. And, and for them, you know what their doubt was? It was circumstantial doubt. God, why did you let this happen to us? Right when our daughter got right with you, why did you let that happen? And that's a deep, personal doubt. There's also institutional doubt where people have just been hurt by religion, hurt by Christianity, hurt by a church, hurt by a religious leader in some way. And so they go, man, if that's spirit-filled people, I don't know if I believe in a God. If, the, if they have the extra advantage of God in their life and this is what happens, I don't know. Like, that's their place. And then sometimes it's just kind of doctrinal or biblical doubt where they just go, I don't know about that verse. I don't know about that theology. I don't, like, all of those are there, right? Now, when I say all of this, I want to be really, really clear. I'm not here to defend doubt. That's not my thing. But I am here to acknowledge it. I'm here to want to face it and then come up with tools to work through it. Now, here's what I also know. Some of us, no doubts, right? It's just never been your struggle. Like, it's funny. You actually see in 1 Corinthians that there's a number of spiritual gifts. And one of the gifts is the gift of faith, where you just have faith. I love that. I, I, like, I like to try to hang out with those people a little bit. I'm like, you got this gift, man. Like, you got this added advantage in this. The rest of us have the responsibility of, you have the gifting of. What do we do with the people that have the gift of faith? Well, we look at them and say, you get to practice something toward us who have doubts. In the book of Jude, he says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to an eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. So the people with the gift of faith, you get to have a ministry to those of us who struggle with doubt by being merciful toward us. The rest of us, we have to figure out how to navigate this. And so let's get to business with how to navigate. I'm going to first talk about what to know about doubt, and then I'm going to talk about what to do about doubt, right? And so here's the first thing. If you're taking notes today, you want to acknowledge in those spaces that doubt is real, and in fact, it's normal because it's called the Christian faith, not the Christian fact. And I've talked about this, and I think it's really important. I know that sounds weird, but again, what we know about Christianity, the way God and his providence and wisdom and love has set it up, is he doesn't make everything concrete, verifiable, undeniable, like you, do, you could just use the, the principles of science and prove that Christianity is a fact. That's not how he wired it. He wired it in such a way that there is this element of the unseen, there's this element of trust that we need to engage in. There's almost a sense of risk involved. I mean, I think that's part of what faith has. It has this risk that says, all right, God, I'm going right up to the edge, and you want me to take another step, and it doesn't make a great deal of sense, but I'm going to trust you in this sense of faith that if I take this risky next step, you're going to do something. You're going to provide. You're going to show up in some way. Like, that's the essence of faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence of things we cannot see. See, that's faith. That's why I say facts are concrete, verifiable, measurable, repeatable. But faith is about hope and trust in unseen things. 
That's why I joke. If God every day in every time zone at noon showed up and just rode across the sky, the God of the Bible, this is who I am. He is true because I am true. I have come to rescue you from your sin. Jesus came, died, rose for your sin problem to create a relationship with me, believe. If that happened every day at five and people said, I don't know, bro. That's not doubt. That's just dumb, right? Because that would be a concrete, verifiable fact that everybody would acknowledge that's happening right now. But, but that's not how God has decided to set it up. He, he works in, in the nuances of one's heart through speaking in the scriptures to the mind and soul of an individual, by speaking in community, and, and all these, again, more subtle, nuanced, spiritual sorts of ways. And so because of that, there's always going to be space for those moments of, am I sure? Am I certain? Is this right? Like, that's just going to be there. And, and I go back to, that's okay. Maybe another thing I think we need to know is the second thing in your notes Having doubts doesn't mean you're sinful or broken. It doesn't mean that. Now, now I want to be clear. Um, I do believe, and I have seen, where people who decide to start engaging in sinful practice, that can lead them to doubt. That can happen. But it doesn't mean that because you're struggling with a doubt or doubts, that automatically that makes you sinful. Part of the reason I say that is because I've known some people that have never struggled with doubt, but heavily struggle with sins. And it isn't that their sins have led them collectively then to doubt. It's just they have a struggle. There's others where it's like, man, I'm not, I'm not engaged in any proactive, conscious sin. But they're still just in that headspace of like, I have some struggles. I have some questions. And in that, here's the thing about that. I want to remind us that God hates all lies. So don't lie to yourself about your struggles with doubt. It's just kind of a natural occurrence in people's lives. An example of this from the Bible itself is the dude that had this one moment of doubt and got stuck with the nickname Doubting Thomas. Doesn't that stink like the one time you have a moment? And it's not like a ridiculous moment, by the way. Now, here's the thing about Thomas. There's two primary stories about this dude in the New Testament. And the first time, he's the only guy with the faith in the bunch. That's what's really tragic. Like, Doubting Peter would have made a whole lot more sense, honestly. Right? But Thomas, in John chapter 11, they're rolling in. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus is like, we're going to go. We're going to do something. Everybody else is like, this is dumb. Why do it? And Thomas is like, shut up. I'm with Jesus. Right? And so he's the only guy who's like, all right, Jesus, let's roll. But then later, Jesus is dead. And everybody has seen the resurrected Christ. And, and, and then Thomas rolls in. and like, dude, you missed it. He was here. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Now, last time at John 11, why was he so certain? Because Jesus was physically there alive to do things. But now Jesus is dead, and he's like, who's going to raise Jesus? Jesus raises people. Nobody raises Jesus. That's what he's thinking. So he says, unless I can put my hand in the wounds, I can touch the damage. Man, I, I'm not going to believe it, all right? I got to put my fingers into the place where he was pierced. See, his doubt is understandable. Like, I honestly go, like, I get it. I'd be feeling you too. But then Jesus shows up, and he says to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And so he says, my Lord and my God, which, by the way, if you're ever looking for a proof text to show that Jesus was worshiped as God, here's your proof text right here. My Lord and my God, he exclaims. And then Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
Now, here's the thing for Thomas. He went from the requirement of faith to now just acknowledging a fact, right? This was not like uh, they just said, dude, you got to trust us, and then Jesus never shows up, and he believes. They're like, dude, you got to trust us. He's like, I don't believe. Then Jesus physically shows up, and he's like, touch, push, poke, prod, feel, and he believes. But then notice what Jesus says. You know, he's like, you believe. That's awesome because you've had a fact. But more blessed are going to be those who without the concrete, tangible fact still believe in faith. He's like, I'm going to bless you more for that because Jesus knows it's hard. I don't think what God is asking us for as followers of Jesus is a blind faith, but it's not a fully factual faith either, if we're just transparent about that, right? Like I said, he's working in these nuances, and so he's like, I, I, I uniquely bless those who labor toward faith, knowing that sometimes it's a battle to resist your doubts as you develop in faith. Like, I think that's a little bit what Jesus does in this. The third thing I would say is that dealing with doubts has many solutions, since not all doubts are created equal. It just kind of works that way. As I said, there's a spectrum. Or you go back to that list for just a second. An intellectual doubt is different than a spiritual doubt, which is different than a circumstantial doubt, which is different than maybe a doctrinal doubt. So, in using the illustrations we talked about earlier, if somebody says, man, I really just, I struggle with the notion that there was a dude swallowed by a fish and three days later was spit on dry land. Like, somebody might struggle with that, and you go, okay, let's work through that doubt. But that doubt is different than somebody who says, I doubt because when I was vulnerable and weak and I was a junior high student, there was this youth pastor that invested into me, and then they sexually exploited me, and now I'm not sure. Right? Like the tragic stories we hear about. That's a different struggle of doubt than the other one. Right? So we want to acknowledge in kind of the world of trying to make a case for faith that some people have been deeply impacted and struggle in ways different than other people struggled. Thus, one apologetic doesn't fit all. You have to vary it up. But that's Paul. Paul does this in one chapter of the book of the Bible. He does this in the book of Acts chapter 17. So you're looking there, and it says he goes to the synagogue for three Sundays, and he reasons from the scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Messiah that the prophets had talked about and Moses talked about and all of that. So he kind of makes this argument from what the synagogue called their authority, the Bible. They're like, oh, we think that's authority. If you can make the case from that authority, we're willing to listen. So that was his apologetic. But then later, he, he goes to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and there he doesn't use the Bible really at all. Instead, he does something crazy. He uses their landmarks, their poets, their philosophers. In other words, he leverages their authority. And he says, can I use your authority to tell you about the true God who is near to all people and asks and calls all people to repent, think differently, and come to him. Like, that's his skill set there. In other words, sometimes to help people through their doubts, you can use scripture, and other people, you have to use almost like the secular world and make the links for them. Sometimes it's just as simple as empathy. Other times it's trying to make a case and to help things make sense. Just depends. But that's a principle. Here's another thing I've kind of learned, and this one may be a little tougher to accept, but it's the fourth thing in your notes. Resolving doubts doesn't always end by removing doubts. That doesn't always happen. In fact, I know of many faithful followers of Jesus where their faithfulness is sort of like the essence of their faith. 
were times ago, I don't know if I feel this thing called faith, whatever that quite means. I don't know if I'm always feeling this warm, fuzzy thing inside, but I still, against some of my challenges, against some of my doubts, I am faithful what Jesus asked me to do. And then there's things that kind of float out there and I don't know what to do with or I wrestle with or I wonder about, but I just keep moving forward, right? I get that. That's kind of the essence of their faith for them. It's just continuing to be faithful through the different things that they battle with. I I think there's two ideas that come to mind for people like this. I think one is something we see in the book of Romans chapter 11, where Paul says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impassable is his ways to understand and his decisions, or impossible, rather, it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Like, there's just this part where they go, I don't know what to do with all of it. But I'm going to trust that, you know what, I, I don't get it all. And I'm going to be okay with that. The other thing I think they kind of lock onto is something Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, we all now see imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that we know now is partial and incomplete. See, some of these people, I I accept that. Some people need to fill in all the blanks, and others, in trying to fill in all the blanks, only creates more doubt. So they go, I don't fill in all the blanks, and, and I just let there be this impartial viewing, and that's going to be good enough for me, so I don't resolve everything. Here's another one, number five in your notes. Doubt, when it comes kind of plagues us with a choice. It can either level your faith or take your faith to a new level, right? It's gonna do one or the other. And, and I, I've seen this too often, where, where some people in kind of the deconstruction world, they just keep deconstructing and deconstructing and deconstructing. Instead of it then refining their faith, taking them to a new place, they just let it level their faith and, and wipe them out. But here you have to realize that, you know what? Um, there, there is space to let those challenges actually take you to new heights in your relationship to Christ. I think about Paul as being one of the earliest deconstructionists, actually. Right? Here's a, here's a guy very committed to Moses, very committed to the law, very committed to his religious heritage. He says, man, I was blameless when it comes to the law. When you're blameless in regard to 613 commands, you're a stud. And then he meets Jesus, and Jesus blows everything up for him. And he had to go through the doubt of his old system and the freshness of the new. And I have no doubt there was whitewater with that because when you look at the relationship between Jews coming into the Christian faith, there was tons of whitewater for them. Like, whoa, bacon's bad, bacon's good. Like, am I sinful now? Right? That's a lot of pressure. But if you leaned into it in the positive, it can take you to new places. Right? Like, that was me. It was me. I, when, when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I knew everything. I was the smartest dude in the room. My stuff was airtight. I had the right system in place. I was a bit of a legalist, somewhat proud. Thought I was the Holy Spirit too often, right? And then God's like, I'm gonna do you a big favor. I'm gonna crush you, bro. I'm gonna crush you. I'm gonna crush you so that you stop being so arrogant and proud of my name, right? And so I went through a season of deep, deep doubt. And then I came out the other side, right, with maybe a simpler faith, a more humbled faith, um, a more like, hey, I get all the struggles of life in a way that I didn't understand before. I understand the doubting mind in a way that I would have never understood had I not gone through it myself. And for me, it leveled up my faith. 
James speaks about this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, yes, even with doubt, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's so good. You gotta let it do the right work. Don't, don't let it do the wrong work. You want it to refine you, not to destroy you. And maybe that leads to the sixth thing that you need to know. Jesus is generous with a sincere doubter. Now, some doubters are just cantankerous, right? They just want to cause trouble. But for the person that's sincere and wrestling, he's like, man, I'm with you. Matter of fact, Matthew says something about Jesus I love. It says, he will not crush the weakest reed, and he will not put out a flickering candle. Right? When you feel like you're just bending under the weight and you're about to snap, he doesn't walk in and just go, clip. Or if you feel like, this little light of mine is going out, he doesn't go, psh. He says, didn't do that. In fact, if anything, we see Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Take up my yoke, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls. Because, man, the burden I'm putting on you is not heavy. So heavy, it crushes you. It's easy to bear and light. And I love this because, again, it's not like Jesus is like, man, I'm against you in your doubt. Jesus versus doubt. He's like, no, I want to walk with you and shoulder you in the, the scope of the doubts that you may be facing and feeling and sensing in your life. I love that. Because it lets me know I can go to him and be honest with him about these things. And so that's what you need to do. So based on that, then what do you need to do about this, right? We kind of got these principles in place. And so I'm going to give you little nuggets. These are going to come fast, man. This is just going to be like lightning round. We're going to try to get it underway so that, you know, here's some of the things you can do when you're in that space. First, dealing with doubts starts by admitting that you have them. You just got to admit it. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Be real, be raw. Don't feel like you have to just be all polite, like, um, God, I just want to bring up something. Because that's not the model I see in the Bible. I see a dude like, like David, who's just like, bleh. Right? Or one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the Gospel of Mark. Here is the situation. There's his dad. He's got a son. His son is suffering under the weight of a demonic presence, and they've tried all kinds of stuff. And in a desperate Hail Mary situation, they're now coming to Jesus. And so the father says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus says, bro, what are you talking about? Anything is possible if a person believes. And then the father instantly cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Man, I love that. Because it says something about the human psyche where you can feel divided inside. I believe, but I doubt. I want it to happen, but I'm uncertain it will. I'm leaning in with faith, but boy, I have a lot of fears. Like, that is so beautifully honest in that space. And I go, man, just be honest with, that's where you're at. The second thing, dealing with doubts requires honestly moving toward God with your doubts. Say, so say this because I, I, I know of some people, and I did this way back in the day. Right? When I started having doubts, instead of going to God with my doubts, I just started going to doubters with my doubts. And they started then discipling me in doubt. Right? Real, real destructive stuff when you do it that way, right? You can camp in your concerns. You can deep dive into deconstruction. You can do all those things, right? Stew in your skepticism. But I find that it's better to just go to God and blah. David does this. He says, Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? 
forever? Really? Is that what we're doing, God? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle and anguish with my soul, with my sorrow and my heart? It's there every day. Like, I feel David, right? He's like, you say you love us, you're with us, you care for us. He's like, bull, right? Visceral, man, visceral. But you know what's cool about this? He's taking it to God and not some atheist message board, right? He's like, you and I are gonna work this out. And as he wrestles and he fights and he battles and he's open, how does it transition? He says, but, but I will trust in your unfailing love. And I will choose to rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Like he still has this resolve moment after events, say, but I'm gonna keep striving. That's where I say, take it to God, man. Take it to God. Next. Dealing with doubts accelerates when you starve your doubts and feed your faith. When you starve your doubts and feed your faith. See, I, I, I say that because if you want to just feed your doubts, just read atheist books. Just read, uh, I don't know, critical stuff about the dearest parts of your faith. Maybe listen to disbelieving podcasts. Watch, you know, like deconstructing TikToks. You know, all the stuff's out there, Right? But if you want to actually deal with this differently, start to starve your doubts and then feed your faith. And how do you do this? Well, I'd say be faithful. The biggest part about this, at least to me, is to be faithful in the midst of those faith crises. In John chapter 7, Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from my God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether that my teaching is from God or merely of their own accord. What I love about this is he doesn't say, if you want to know it's true, discern me or discern what I say. He says, if you want to know it's true, start doing what I say. Just do it. Just be faithful to my words, right? Especially when God feels distant. My thing is, then cinch the straps on your pack tight, put your face into the wind, and just start making that tough slog through the hard season. Right? Be faithful to what he says to do. Even if you may not feel like he's there in those moments. Because I believe that's what God can use. I really do. Next. Dealing with doubts is aided by doubting your doubts with the same efforts that you are doubting your faith. Right? That's a Kellerism. Tim Keller, if you're not familiar with Tim Keller, probably of all recent Bible teacher theologians, my guy. Right? He's really my guy. He just displayed a Christ-likeness and humility that I don't see always common when people get really well-known. And he was that guy. And he had that great advice. He's like, just as much as you want to doubt Christian things, doubt the things that are wanting to destroy your Christian faith at times. Because it's easy for things to work you up, work you over, lead you to, to kind of fall away in some way. But he goes, man, you've you got to have intellectual integrity even as it relates to the things that are causing you to doubt. In fact, there's principles about this in the Bible. Proverbs 16 says, The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets standards for fairness, but the Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased with dishonest scales. So again, this is what we need to do is just go, okay, I have these things that I'm struggling with. I'm not sure what to do with. I'm going to actually read my Bible, look at these things, and weigh out what's going on. That's good to do because sometimes when you do that, you find you're struggling less with faith and maybe more with people who claim faith. You might realize, this isn't my faith as a problem. I'm just struggling with other people's faith, and maybe that's my problem. Or it's less a, a doubt or struggle with God and more about um, our expectations that we place on God. Maybe that's what we find is the bigger deal. 
or it's less with the Bible and more about how I'm trying to figure out understanding. There's any number of things that you might find in the process of doubting your doubts. You realize that the real problem isn't the real problem and it can help generate faith. That takes us to number five. Dealing with doubts accepts that faith won't always make sense or be perfect. Not for everybody. For some people, piece of cake. But this is why, again, I'm a big fan of the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Where that dude's like, you know what? Here's, I watch life, and I see the righteous lose and the wicked win. I see that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I see what should be fair, and it's not fair. And under the sun, it's all meaningless. Like, the guy is just my jam, right? But then what's he say at the end of this after wrestling and struggling and everything else in his lament, working through all of his doubts? He comes to this conclusion. He says, this is the whole story, and here is my final thought. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. In other words, he spends this entire work of the Bible saying, I got this question, this question, this question. This doesn't fit. That doesn't work. This is inconsistent. That's broken. Where's God in this? Where's God in that? I don't know if we go up or we go down when we die. Like, he says all of that stuff, and then he goes, but here's my conclusion. I can't solve it all, but I can still fear God and obey his commands. And when I had my journey out of faith and my journey back to faith, that's exactly what it was for me. This is probably why Ecclesiastes is so dear to me. Because I didn't come back because somebody answered all my questions, resolved all of my doubts, made all the pieces fit. Far from it. Far from it. Right? And, and, and so for me, it was as simple as, life is better with Jesus. When I had walked away, life was not better. When I returned, life is better with Jesus. I don't mean easier, simpler, cleaner, but I do mean better because he said, I came to give you abundant life, right? And so I didn't need all the doubts answered. I just knew that that was quality enough. Jesus is enough, even in my, my doubts. And that gave me a deeper faith. But then last, real quick here, dealing with doubts remembers that even when we struggle with faith in Jesus, Jesus is faithful to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Your doubts don't sway his love for you. Your doubts don't hit, cause him to go, oh, I see, I'm not enough for you. You don't take me at my word. Oh, we're not tight now. You may drift, but he is as a pursuer because he is faithful even when we are faithless. Because in that, he is praying for you, pleading for you, and promising to be with you always. Right now, let's just go ahead and pray. Just kind of bow our heads, close our eyes. And as we do, I want to first just come to anybody that's in the room, anybody that's watching online, where you're like, I'm not only just a person of doubt, but I'm not a person of belief. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't follow Jesus. That's not my thing. But maybe today, you feel that draw and that pull, and you're like, man, I... There's something about this that's just compelling to me that I can't even fully understand. That's so often the way the Holy Spirit works in the lives of people. And so if you feel that today, the journey for you, the next step is to go, Jesus, I've gone my own way, done my own thing, set my own rules, right? The Bible calls that sin, missing the mark, crossing a line. And in all of that, you go, man, Jesus, you are the solution to my problem. And you came, you lived, you died, you rose so that I might have life. If that is your heart today, uh, that's a prayer way for you. You say, Jesus, I acknowledge all of those things. I am the problem. You are the solution. 
and you make that your prayer in your words, he knows your heart in that. And he draws you into his family and he begins to walk with you in the journey and he changes your life because he takes up residence in you. If you make that your prayer today, we would love to know. There'll be a number on the screen. When you open your eyes, there'll be a tile in our app that you can click and say, I decided to make that decision today. We would love to know that. For the rest of us, some of us we know, I know, might be struggling with different levels or layers of doubt. And I'm just gonna pray for all of us. And for those who don't struggle with doubt, you have nothing but faith, man, then show mercy to those who have doubt. Pray for them. Pray for your heart toward them, right? That there be grace and compassion, encouragement, patience, and that they would grow in their journey. Jesus, help our hearts, help our lives. Life is not easy or simple. Life is hard and painful. And we operate so blindly at times in what we try to accomplish, but we know that you see clearly and you give just enough vision at times just to see the next footstep and not something beyond that, but help us to trust whatever's next. We thank you, Jesus, and love you. We need you and appeal to you to be our strength and your good grace.